Sponsored by Midland. Communication for every adventure. The industry leader in radio communication technology and innovation for over 50 years. Sponsored by MyMedic. Sponsored by Tembo Tusk. Sponsored by Trail Rated Coffee Company. Sponsored by CK Knife and Tool. Always remember, the opinion you follow should be your own. Just consider the things stated here to be a second opinion from a complete stranger online. Hi, my name is Phil from Waypoint Overland, and you're listening to Random Waypoints. All right, so here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Random Waypoints podcast. We'll be doing an episode every week, so like, share, and subscribe. Hit the notification bell to make sure you don't miss an episode. This week is focused on news. Let's take a look. During this segment, we'll cover various topics with a connection to overlanding in some way. It could be land use news regarding the national parks or the Bureau of Land Management. We'll keep you up to date on any auto industry news when it pertains to relevant and potential overlanding vehicles. There will be camping and outdoor industry news, as well as photography and video, fishing, hiking, and on and on. Now, here's the news. Toyota is showing off a pickup EV concept that's likely a preview of an electric Tacoma. It's also, in my opinion, appears to be based on the Tacoma midsize truck, judging by its design and its size compared to the compact cruiser EV off-road SUV parked next to it. Bringing in an all-electric vehicle pickup truck to market is something Toyota needs to do ASAP given the buzz surrounding the already available Rivian R1T and other upcoming launches including the GMC Hummer EV, Ford F-150 Lightning, Tesla Cybertruck, and the Chevrolet Silverado EV. Now, the pickup EV name Toyota slapped on its concept is just a working name so we can expect the production model to sport a different nameplate, possibly Tacoma EV. Speaking of the Tacoma, the concept truck Toyota unveiled has similar headlights, a smaller closed-off grille, and a similar front bumper to the 2022 Tacoma TRD Pro. We don't get to see the rear end, but the profile appears identical. As with all concepts unveiled, the interior design of the Toyota pickup EV remains a secret for now. We suspect that because the electric version will share the cabin with the redesigned 2023 Tacoma set to arrive next year. Toyota's pickup EV concept confirms previous reports about the Japanese car maker preparing to launch an electric pickup in the near future. At the Shanghai Auto Show in April, Toyota confirmed it would bring hybrid and battery electric powertrains to its pickup truck lineup. The automaker did not say which specific nameplates will have an electric variant, but there really are only three suspects. Globally, that would be the Hilux while in North America, the only possibilities are the Tacoma and the Tundra. In light of the pickup EV concept unveiling, the Tacoma looks set to become the brand's first pickup to offer a pure electric powertrain. If that turns out to be the case, the Tacoma will be one of the first electric midsize pickups in the U.S., 
assuming Toyota won't delay its launch for too long. Plan for needing a reservation to enter Glacier National Park in 2022. If Glacier National Park in Montana is on your 2022 vacation plans, you can expect to need a reservation to reach the heart of the park along the Going to the Sun Road, as well as the North Fork area during the high summer season. This will be the second year of the pilot ticket system in the park designed to manage high traffic volumes within the park and avoid gridlock. In 2022, the reservations are expected to be needed between May 27th and September 11th. Under the plan to alleviate congestion, one ticket per customer will again be required to enter the Go Into the Sun Road at the West Entrance, St. Mary Entrance, and the New Kamas Entrance. In 2022, a ticket per vehicle will also be required at the Pole Bridge Ranger Station to visit the North Fork area of the park. The Going to the Sun Road and North Fork tickets will be two separate tickets. The park anticipates a portion of tickets becoming available by early March. Like last year, visitors will need to set up an account on Recreation.gov to obtain tickets. Although the park does not charge for the tickets, Recreation.gov charges a $2 non-refundable service fee. Tickets will not be required at the St. Mary entrance prior to the full opening of the Going to the Sun Road, typically in late June. Once snow removal and road preparations are complete and the road opens to vehicle traffic to Logan Pass, tickets will be required at the St. Mary entrance through September 11, 2022. The park will offer three-day tickets for going to the Sun Road rather than the seven-day ticket offered last year and one-day tickets for the North Fork. The Apgar and Spray Creek campgrounds will require advanced reservations in addition to Fish Creek and St. Mary Camp's grounds. Reservations will be available on recreation.gov on 2022. Rising Sun and Avalanche campgrounds will remain first come, first served. The park anticipates all campgrounds to be operating in 2022. In addition to the ticket, each vehicle entering the park is required to have an entrance pass for any entry point into the park. These passes could include any of the following. A $35 vehicle pass, good for seven days, a valid interagency annual lifetime pass, or a Glacier National Park annual pass. Additional details about the ticket system are still in development. The park website will provide updates as more information becomes available. REI announces the Fall 2021 Editor's Choice Awards, a designation honoring top performing gear and apparel from the brand sold at the co-op based on field testing, REI expertise, co-op member and customer feedback, and sustainability attributes. Products recognized include both time-honored standouts and the latest innovations to hit shelves at REI. Our Editor's Choice Awards are one of the many ways the co-op helps people find great gear for all the ways they recreate, said Michelle Flandrau, Managing Editor at REI. We're thrilled to recognize our next round of award winners, which include protective gaiters and versatile trekking poles. As we head into fall, these products are well-suited to help people spend time outside, even when the days are short and the weather is wet and cold. This fall's recipient of REI Co-op Editor's Choice Awards includes the following. We have the Big Agnes Echo Park 20. REI states, This sleeping bag is comfy, warm, and spacious, and will satisfy most car campers in the market. A standout in our round-robin inclusive size sleeping bag test, 
the Echo Park 20 should keep sleepers toasty in sub-freezing conditions and measures 80 inches around the shoulders and 74 inches around the hips. It's more affordably priced, too. We also have Outdoor Research Crocodile Gore-Tex Gators. For ultimate protection, hikers and mountaineers should reach for the time-tested crocodiles, the top performer in our gators' field test. A tester added, These gators are knee-high and made of ridiculously tough nylon. Water, snow, grit, and debris stand no chance. Also on the list, REI Co-op Traverse Trekking Poles. These versatile trekking poles were the best all-around performers in their field test. The Traverse Trekking Poles are adjustable up to 140 centimeters and telescope down for easy packing and storage when not in use. The huge size range should satisfy everyone in the family, while thoughtful details like an oversized grip and padded wrist strap enhance comfort. The Traverse Trekking Poles come with hiking and powder baskets, so you can use them year-round. And last but not least, we have the Light in Motion Viz Pro 1000 Trail Headlight. The Viz Pro 1000 is an all-around great light for cyclists. It's bright enough for mountain bikers to use on single track and has traffic-friendly red side lights and a low profile that please road and casual riders. Lightweight, yet boasting a thousand lumens and enough battery to beat the dark home, this little light earned frequent placements on the handlebars of REI Co-op member testers. REI recognizes these products as top performers in a head-to-head round-robin test. Product reviews on REI.com and customer feedback along with sustainability attributes based on REI product include REI employees and co-members from across the nation who evaluate everything from a product's usability to its features in a variety of climates, terrain, and weather. They report back on their experiences with qualitative and quantitative data collected along the way. Gear considered must be sold at the co-op. There is no set time of number of recipients that may receive this accolade. Products are continually tested and can be recognized with an REA Co-op Choice Award designation any time through the year. A list of past award winners can be found on their website. Gear considered must be sold at the co-op. There's no set timing or number of recipients that may receive this accolade. Products are continually tested and can be recognized with an REI Co-op Editor's Choice Award designation any time through the year. A list of past award winners can be found on their website. Ford Bronco Sport becomes first vehicle to feature parts made of 100% recycled ocean plastic. Ford adds to its legacy of using sustainable materials in its vehicles and becomes the first automaker to use 100% recycled ocean plastics to produce car parts. Wiring harness clips in the Ford Bronco Sport are the first of many of the company's plans to produce using discarded plastic fishing nets. Ocean plastic is collected by workers in the Indian Ocean and Arabian Sea, promoting healthier marine life, reducing landfill waste, and providing jobs. Recycled plastic provides a durable, low-cost material that is comparable to petroleum-based plastics at 10% cost savings and requiring less energy to produce. Wiring harness clips in Ford Bronco Sport models are made of ocean-harvested plastic, commonly referred to as ghost gear. The small parts represent a large first step in the company's plan to produce other parts of recycled ocean plastics on other models. Up to 13 million metric tons of plastic entering the ocean from land each year, 
threatening marine life and polluting shorelines, according to Pew Charitable Trust, a global non-governmental organization. Plastic in the ocean also comes from the fishing industry, which has come to rely on plastic fishing nets and other equipment because of the durability, lightweight, buoyancy, and low cost of the material. Those same qualities contribute to creating ghost nets, a fatal and growing threat to marine life. Ghost gear compromises nearly 10% of all sea-based plastic waste, entangling fish, sharks, dolphins, sea turtles, seals, and birds. Invisible to vehicle occupants, the Bronco Sport wiring harness clips, which weigh about 5 grams, fasten to the sides of the Bronco Sport's second-row seats and guides wires that power side-curtain airbags. Despite spending time in salt water and sunlight, the material is as strong and durable as petroleum-based clips for testing shows. Spurring jobs creation throughout the development process, the plastic materials collected from the Indian Ocean and Arabian Sea by DSM Engineering Materials. Items produced using plastics collected from the ocean include a wide range of consumer goods, but not until now have automotive parts been on that list. The process begins with DSM harvesting discarded nylon fishing nets. The plastic is washed of salt water, dried and extruded to form small pellets, which are then injection molded by supplier Hellerman Titan into the desired clip's shape. Ford is already planning additional parts using recycled ocean plastics, including transmission brackets, wired shields, and floor side rails. All stationary parts with strength and durability demands that the material can meet or exceed. As a global leader in cable management innovation, Hellerman Titan strives for eco-friendly ways to pave the path to a more sustainable future, said Anesia Peterman. Hellerman Titan's automotive product manager, Developments like this do not come easy, so we're proud to collaborate with Ford in support of a unique product solution that contributes to healthier oceans. Ford F-Series is the best-selling truck for the 45th year in a row. Congratulations, Ford. Montana seeks to end protection for glacier area grizzlies. Montana is asking the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to lift threatened species protection for grizzly bears in the northern portion of the state, including areas in and around Glacier National Park, officials said. The request, if granted, would open the door to public hunting of grizzlies in Montana for the first time in three decades. It comes after bear populations have expanded, spurring more run-ins, including grizzly attacks on livestock and periodic maulings of people. Removing federal protections would give state wildlife officials more flexibility to deal with bears that get into conflicts, Montana Governor Greg Gianforte said. But wildlife advocates warn of overhunting if protections are lifted. Northwest Montana has the largest concentration of grizzlies in the lower 48 states, with more than a thousand bears across the Glacier National Park and nearby expanses of forested wilderness, an area known as the Northern Continental Divide ecosystem. In March, U.S. government scientists said the region's grizzlies are biologically recovered, but need continued protection under the Endangered Species Act because of human-caused bear deaths and other pressures. Hunting of grizzlies is banned in the U.S. outside of Alaska. Bears considered problematic are regularly killed by wildlife officials. As many as 50,000 grizzlies once ranged the western half of the U.S. 
Most were killed by hunting, trapping, and habitat loss following the arrival of European settlers in the 1800s. Populations had declined to fewer than a thousand bears by the time they were given federal protection in 1975. Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon said he will ask the federal government to remove protections for Yellowstone region grizzlies and permit the region's three states to manage and potentially allow hunting of the big Bruins in certain areas. Hi, this is May with It's Always May, and I am with Chris Chisholm, who is from Wolf Camp and Wolf College. Hi, Chris. How are you today? Good. Thank you very much. Tell me a little bit about your background that pertains to wilderness survival. Well, um, I grew up in a kind of an outdoorsy family, and we grew up in northern Minnesota for 10 years. My dad was in the reserves up there, and so for some reason he chose to live in northern Minnesota. <laughs> and so... Um, we were outside all of the time, you know, in my generation, it was go outside and uh, don't come back until, you know, any time, I guess. Uh, in my family, it wasn't a lot of restrictions, so we were outside all the time, just got really comfortable out there. And a lot of hunters and fishermen up there, and so they knew a lot of things. Uh, but it really wasn't until after college where I read a book about, you know, some of the skills that had been lost over the generations uh, that I realized even just being out there, I didn't know the gifts of the plants, the edible qualities, the medicine, even some of the names of a lot of the trees, um, and the wildlife tracks and the language of the birds, and the birds can tell you so much about where the animals are, all these things that we didn't know at all, even as hunters and fishermen at all growing up, and so that's what really got me interested in studying it and rediscovering those skills um, as when I was in my 20s, and so I was out there, you know, putting myself in primitive situations and survival situations and such for fun. Uh, I started this about 18 years ago. Um, it was a friend of mine uh, who uh, said to me, uh, also read uh, some of the similar um, outdoor books um, that are out there, you know, survival books and things like that, and uh, said to me, you know what, I really want to start a school and teach this stuff. I just, I'm so into it, and we had been practicing and such, and I was like, oh, that's a great idea. I'll, I'll help you do that, because I like organizing things and such, but, you know, I'm interested in doing other things, because I, you know, trying to use my degree and that kind of thing, and so it uh, was sort of an accident, because I was just helping somebody else uh, do that, and then uh, we ended up just, it started taking over our lives, and there was a whole group of about 20 people kind of helping and things like that and then we all kind of split up and go in our different ways and and I just kept doing it because I couldn't think of anything else that I would rather do that was more fun. Now I remember that you told me this started back in what 1996 in Bellingham so how did you end up here in Washington then? Well originally um, I came out to visit my brother after the day or the month after I graduated from college University of Wisconsin uh, my brother uh, there was a job I thought I was gonna have and Madison was awesome Madison Wisconsin all sorts of fun and great city and then uh, this job I thought I was gonna have fell through and, my, and I was talking to my older brother about it and he had just moved out here with his wife and uh, he was like oh well just come out here and just visit for a while and help us pay the mortgage we just bought a house, you know, get a little job and help us pay the mortgage. I was like, okay, cool, I'll come visit. And um, little did I know I was never turning back. Tell me kind of what you cover in your courses? Well, yeah, we try to have a whole broad range, uh, run the gamut of outdoor education. And so we do everything from what the, um, you know, outdoor, big outdoor organizations do, which is a little bit of hiking and backpacking. Because a lot of people are interested in what we specialize in, which is like the traditional skills, but they've never been camping or out in the woods at night before and so I kind of learned that we had to do at least a little bit of bike of uh, camping 
backpacking uh, training uh, to get people used to those sorts of things that I just sort of grew up naturally doing all the time so I didn't quite realize that it's very scary for people even to be outside when the sun's going down. So we do that and all the way to um, uh, the basis of it really is um, learning about the wild edible medicinal plants, um, wildlife tracking, language of the birds, um, survival skills uh, that are all super you know popular and that everybody's um, trying to do on TV and everywhere else now, of course. Um, and traditional skills like uh, you know honoring the entire animal if we ever go hunting, you know, um, tanning the hides to make leather, using the intestines to make sausage and, uh, you know, and, and uh, rope and, and uh, using the bones for tools and all those sorts of things so that nothing goes away. So all the traditional skills are very important uh, to us as well, using the fibers from the plants in order to make ropes and baskets and, um, you know, all the other kind of things that you try. My goal originally was to try to have everything nothing from the store everything made from scratch that we need in the outdoors and so that's really what we specialize in and uh, my wife Kim uh, who I run the Wolf College with is uh, her degree is in wildlife science and so our background is a love of nature love of the animals love of the plants and uh, that's really what motivates us you have been listening to Waypoint Overland's random waypoints like subscribe and stay tuned for more <laughs>